We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 74. Our guest today has quite the resume in her horse career. Even starting out as a junior rider, she has won McClay finals, medal finals, U-set finals, and as a trainer, she is arguably one of the most successful trainers of young developing show jumping talent in the U.S., She is the owner and head trainer of Beacon Hill Stables, and so let's hear it from Stacia Madden as she talks a little bit about how she got to where she is today. Well, I would love to jump right in. How did you first get into the equestrian world? What did that look like for you? So as a young girl, I lived on a large piece of property that didn't have many houses around it, and my best friend was uh, about a mile down the street, and she lived on a horse farm. And we used to always go over there and play with the rabbits and the pigs and the goats. And during the winter, we would do sleigh rides on the ponies. And then during the summer, we would do pony rides. Cool. And one day, my mom said, you know, if you're going to keep hanging around those horses, maybe you should learn how to, you know, ride properly. And I had done some summer camps. And my mom rode as a little girl. And I think she really wanted to see if I took to riding. So there was a local farm that the Renahans owned called Grandview Stables in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I started there taking my one hour up-down lessons where you would get on a a Liberty horse, a borrowed horse, and I would either get knee high or buttons or shamrock or some (laughs) different horse. And I really enjoyed going to the barn, but I was afraid to canter. So every time it was my turn to canter, I would just walk into the center of the ring and stand there. And Val Renahan's mom was my, you know, first instructor. And she kind of told my parents that she thought that the only way I was going to feel comfortable cantering is if I got to ride the same horse or pony every day. Sure. Yeah. And this pony came in from Texas and my parents bought it for me as a birthday present she was a buckskin pony. She had three white socks. So I named her Three's Company because that was Cute. one of my TV shows at the time. And the first day I had her, the Renahan saw me out in the field cantering around and basically had to come out and stop me from cantering. So <laughs> no way. Oh, that was so kind funny. of the, the very beginning of riding. And then it turned into group lessons and there were some shows at Grandview. And then there mm-hmm. were some local shows that we started to go to. And then it just turned into training with Val Renahan, who was one of the Renahan's daughters, who was also competing at that time. And she turned into my official trainer all of my junior years, right up until I was 17 when I moved out to the Northeast. Wow. Okay. So you had your buckskin pony. You Mm -hmm. were starting to show. You were like, okay. I feel like I want to, you know, keep going with this, go to some bigger shows. At what point did that kind of transition happen for you? You know, it just kind of naturally evolved. Val was riding some of my parents' horses in the first year green divisions. And I think my first experience at a big show is when I went to Harrisburg to watch. And then I watched the medal finals and yeah. it kind of just made me know that that 
aspect of the sport was out there and wanted to aspire to it. So then my first equitation horse, which was also a junior hunter, his name was Tentative. I did in the junior hunters and Val also did in the greens. And the first year I showed him in the junior hunters at indoors, I also did him at McClay finals when it was at Madison Square Garden. Wow. How special. I mean, that I takes a I, very special horse. <laughs> yeah. I think I was 12 then. So it wow. Was kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. So tell me about the 87 McClay finals, kind of walk me through that whole time in your life. So at the end of 1986, I was pen pals with Scott Hofstetter, who had won the medal in the McClay finals. And when I was congratulating him and we were riding back and forth, he really convinced me that I would enjoy training out on the East Coast. And I think my parents were at a point where they decided that if I was going to stick with the sport, that maybe I needed to make a larger investment in my career and maybe train out on the East Coast for my last junior year. Mm -hmm. So we made some contacts and ended up connecting with Beacon Hill. So I started training with them during the Florida circuit of 1987 and then leased an apartment in Brewster, New York and had a bunch of girls stay with me. I was staying with Candace Shlom a little bit. Molly Ash was there, Mia Wood. Don Mitzner, we had a, a, a good group. Rachel Benoit Baker was there. And it ended up just being kind of a crash pad for kids that wanted to take riding seriously. And I had applied to a bunch of different schools, not really sure what my ending of my junior career was going to look like. I knew I wanted to stay involved with horses. So I was applying to schools that were near places that I thought I can continue my riding. Mm-hmm. I remember applying to schools in Virginia because it was close to Rodney Jenkins and places in Florida because it was close to Christina Schlesmeyer and Bobby Braswell. I applied to Drew and Fairfield because it was close to Beacon Hill. Mm -hmm. And right after I won the McClay finals in 1987, when it was at Madison Square Garden, I got an offer from Bill Cooney and Frank Madden, who were owners of Beacon Hill at the time, to see if I wanted to stay on as an assistant and professional rider and kind of do it on a trial period through Florida. So I deferred and decided to take that opportunity. What was McClay finals like for you? That day was a really interesting day because it was back in the day when you had a warm-up class. It was at five in the morning. Mm -hmm. And then the first round of the McClay finals ran. And then they did the flat phase. And then there was a break while they held one of the big jumper classes. And then you came back in the afternoon to do the top 25. Got it. And we stayed at a hotel across the street. It was either the Penn Harris then or the Southgate Hotel. And this is way before cell phones and, you know, the TV just played whatever movies were on. Yeah. And I was a huge, huge Patrick Swayze fan and Mm. a big Dirty Dancing fan. And Molly and I had both done the first round of the McClay finals and done the flat phase. And we were both coming back in the top 25. And we went back to the hotel and had Dirty Dancing on as our movie. And the night before that was a big jumper class. And I had skipped coming back to watch the class so that I could get a good night's sleep. And my hotel phone rang. 
And one of my friends said, you've got to come back over here. Patrick Swayze is here. Stop. So I went running across the street. I get in the elevator. I go up to the fifth floor, which is where the horse show is being held. Yeah. And I run smack into him getting on the elevator as I'm getting off the elevator. No way. And I still remember he had on eggplant colored shirt and jeans <laughs> and cowboy boots. And then wow. after the warm-up was done in the morning, I was just kind of sitting in the stands next to my mom and this father holding this little kid's hand walked by. She kind of walked past me and turned around and came back to me and stood in front and said, are you the winner? And I just said, I sure hope so. But wow. this was before I'd even gone in the first round. So it was just a really unique weekend of a bunch of weird karma things happening. Yeah. And it was pretty unforgettable. Wow. That's amazing. And that was one of the last years that it was held at Madison Square Garden, correct? So the next year it was held there. So I was able to present to Christy Connard, who was the winner the next year. Cool. And then it took a break, I think, and went to Brendenburg Arena at Meadowlands. And then I think it came back for a year or two um, before it disappeared for good. I can't totally remember the chronology of the events. Yeah, definitely. So fast forward, you are training at Beacon Hill. You've fully gone into it as a career and as your professional going from a junior to a professional. How was that transition for you? So I kind of equated as being you know, when you're the junior and you're at the top of your game, you feel like you're a senior in high school. And then when you enter being a professional and kind of the real world of the horse industry, it's a little bit of school of hard knocks at the beginning. And you feel like you're kind of back in kindergarten. And I remember that being a very humbling experience, but I was passionate about the sport and the fact that I was getting the opportunity to work for a stable that I had really dreamt of doing all my life. Mm -hmm. And so it was a lot of two steps forward, one step back. Yeah, definitely. And now that you are known across the board as one of the the top trainers in our industry, you're known for developing some amazing young riders that have gone off to be incredible professionals and, and other leaders in the industry, which is amazing. I mean, I know that so many people know you for being such a top equitation trainer. I'd love to get some details as far as how you train that kind of classic position that everyone seems to have an idea about, but sometimes I feel like people have some uncertainty as far as what judges are really looking for as things kind of change and develop in the industry. What is that kind of go-to classic position? So for me, equitation, really the definition of equitation is good riding. So I like it when people say that I am a quote equitation trainer, because it means I'm a trainer of good riding. I really like to be known as a trainer of young riders because I like to give them the foundation and the basics to be able to go forward and stay in the career and follow whatever dreams they might have. So I really like the whole aspect of working with the young riders, whether it's working with the hunters, the jumpers, the equitation part of it for me is the foundation that really is the platform that gives them the basics and the fundamentals to be able to go forward. I think it's far reaching from talking about strategy and barn management and proper position, of course, is a big piece of that. But equitation is also known as the subjective part of it and the position piece of the puzzle, which is also very true. And you spend a lot of time working on proper position because, you know, your average young rider is probably between 
you know, 100 and 160 pounds, and they're trying to influence these 1,200, 1,400 pound animals. Right. So really the classic position is putting the rider in the best possible place to be able to influence the horse to the best of their ability. Definitely. Yeah. I think that's a really good mindset to go into it. And I think if you get too hung up sometimes on very intricate details, you end up having a stiff rider instead of a rider that's effective and is riding the horse and communicating with the horse as to what they want. Trying always to give explanations as to why you want something to fundamentally work a certain way. Right. Because riders, once they feel that they're empowered, because once they're in the right position, the horse actually responds better. So I try very hard not to just repeat saying heels down, flat back, or, or making position changes, but saying something more along the lines with if you sat up straighter and were a little more with the motion, you would have the ability to feel like you were able to resist your horse better. And just giving an explanation as to why we're trying to make a little bit of a position correction so that it doesn't just seem like it's about the look, but it's really the functionality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and kind of having that idea for understanding the why is going to make a rider, make it click and stick more with the rider than just constantly hearing the heels down, heels down, heels down. Making a lot of you know, adjustments to a rider's position, walking up to them, putting them on their toe mm-hmm. and then pulling the reins and seeing how easily they are pulled forward. Yeah. And then saying, when you put your weight in your heels, now I'm not able to put, pull you forward as well, mm-hmm. you know, and use the tug of war analogy that if you were playing a game of tug of war at school, that you wouldn't be leaning forward and standing up on your toes, or you'd be the one that got in the ditch. Our sponsor today is one of my favorite things about Wellington, and that is the farm stand. After three seasons at WEF, Farm Stand is excited to announce its newest location, their online store. Now you can browse their carefully curated wares and textiles from small, environmentally conscious businesses from the comfort of your home or lounge chair. You'll find everything from seeds to support your new gardening habit and plant-based bath products to handcrafted jewelry and limited-run women's wear. Start exploring at farm-stand.com. Thank you so much, Farm Stand. All right, let's get back to the episode. What kind of exercises do you work on with your young riders in a lesson or a clinic format where you are focusing on, let's say, pace and straightness and improving those aspects of their riding? There are so many different exercises that you can use. Probably one of my most functional exercises is playing around with Cavalettis. So I've got some raised Cavalettis and I feel like you can really get so much out of that because Mm -hmm. you can move them around. You can play with the distances. You can make a lot of different exercises and you're not putting a lot of concussion on the horse. Right. So I feel like once you've really mastered being able to do things well over Cavalettis, it's a lot easier to take it to the next step and work with obstacles that are maybe three foot or three foot six tall. So I would say two days a week, the riders are usually getting some sort of a flat lesson and the flat lesson usually are incorporating Cavaletti exercises, or maybe you're going to do a line that is set in a little bit of a forward four stride. Then I'll have you come back and do it in a steady five stride. 
maybe I'll put three Cavalettis in a row that are measured the same distance and I'll have you do it in four and five strides, five and four strides. Sometimes I'll put two Cavalettis far apart and I'll work on the halt and the trotting out and keep it real simple, but work with basically raised rails first. Mm -hmm. And then that's kind of the introduction into the week of having a lesson later on in the week where we're going to take those same exercises and incorporate them over a course of jumps. Yeah, definitely. That's so funny. I was just talking to Sloane Coles and she was talking to me about a four to a four and then, you know, the collection of five to a five or five to a four and just being able to do a simple exercise like that with Cavaletti, but having it be seamless and being able to kind of smoothly adjust your horse to lengthening and shortening. You can put some really simple things together, but then, you know, continue to hone in on your skill. And it's also interesting when you talk about straightness, A lot of times the first or second lesson of the day or the first or second lesson in the afternoon, the ring is freshly drugged. So easy to use the horse's hoof prints in the in the ground to be able to show a rider whether they've maintained the straightness or not. That's a good point. Are you a big advocate for riders staying off the rail or what's your opinion on rail riding? When you're working on the flat? Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's all we talk about is staying off the rail and Mm -hmm. working a little bit off the rail. It's probably something that's mentioned a little bit in every lesson, even the riders that have been here for a while and know better. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a little bit tougher when you're indoors because you're trying to utilize all of your space usually. Uh But when you're outside and you've got more room, you know, I'm always trying to hone on the riders to say, don't let the rail of the ring replace the outside rein and the outside leg of the horse. Mm -hmm. Really got to make your own barrier a little bit and not rely on the ring. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's a good point. Are you still, I know I read somewhere that you're still serving on different national committees. What does that look like for you now? And how do you feel like being on those committees has helped your overall knowledge of the industry and, and your knowledge for training? It definitely helps you keep up to speed on the rules and regulations, Mm -hmm. which is, I think, really important. It allows you to give feedback and basically report in on the way you see the industry, you know, some of the shortfalls and some of the business practices that you feel would be helpful. You're able to bring those ideas to the table. It's time consuming, but I think it's important. I think what I enjoy the most is being on some of the advisory board committees. They seem to take input very seriously and it never feels like people are necessarily being self-serving, but really trying to make a horse show better. So I try to accept all of those invitations. And I really liked being a part of the USHJ mentor program when that was in play. I felt like I had a lot of good questions and people that wanted to reach out and I try to make myself available for that as well. Yeah, that's amazing. I think that that is something that our industry could use a lot of the communication from different people in the industry and people who have been in the industry for a while to give their advice and their insight and their tips to continue the industry in a positive way. So I think that that's super beneficial. Going back to your Uh, clients and your students because you have developed some amazing young professionals now. And did you find any type of trend in any of those riders or any quality that you see that turns a little kid just getting into riding to like an equitation star or a top professional? It's probably one of the things I enjoy most about working with young riders 
is trying to give them the tools to go on and be a part of the sport if that's what they choose to do. So when I see riders stay in the sport and become an accomplished professional or an accomplished rider that's able to represent various teams, that really makes me feel like a job was well done because that's the ultimate goal. My ultimate goal is not winning ribbons and placing at the finals, although that is a part of it and it's enjoyable and we all have the thrill of winning in our back pocket and that's why we do it. I don't think that's the whole incentive. The whole incentive is to be a springboard for these kids and to give them the tools to go on and do big things, great things, and feel like they have the confidence and the knowledge to be able to do that. I've kind of joked around saying that one of my you know, big dreams would be for a rider to do something great at one of the finals without even having to be present myself, just knowing that I had done my job of giving them all the information they needed. I think my most memorable finals wins have been finals where the kids are having to test inside the ring because it's almost like they're out there on their own. Right. And I can kind of remember Jesse Springsteen saying after she won the medal in the clay finals and she was being interviewed and both times she was testing inside the ring without the help of a, of a trainer's assistance. And she just said that she was very clear on what she needed to do. And she kind of heard my voice in her head. And that's my ultimate goal is I don't want the kids to be dependent on me. I want them to feel like they've got strength and knowledge and ability. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they've taken all that time to prepare with you and, and lay the groundwork. So then once the show is, is in play, it's like, okay, how are you able to relate and be able to train all these different kids with different upbringings, different personalities, different strong suits and challenges in their riding and put that together in one program? So I don't have a cookie cutter system for training riders. I'm usually trying to teach each kid as an individual. And I think just years of experience of working with so many different kids through the years, you're just bringing experiences that work for different kids. I think that confidence is very important. And I think that the riders need to have a good relationship with their coach. They need to trust their coach. That's probably the first step in having a good relationship. And then I think the pairing of putting a rider on a horse where there's good chemistry is also probably the the next key ingredient when you're first working with a rider to get that relationship established. But I for sure am always drawing on experiences that I had when I was competing on how I would work with nerves or what it felt like to be in that last junior year when you have that unknown feeling about you know, whether you're going to college, whether you're going to be able to keep riding. So I think having those experiences to pull from are very helpful, but I also try to maintain a good relationship with the riders so that I can get information from them on what their struggles and what their needs are so that I can try to help them through that. Mm -hmm, Totally. And for those students who you've had who struggle with that, like they're at the end gate and you can just tell there's a full on freak out about to happen. What are some things that you find have been helpful for those show nerves? 
You know, honestly, good preparation is the very best thing that you can possibly have to battle nerves. But I have this speech over and over again with kids that there's not much difference between nerves and adrenaline. Hmm. And the reason that we like this sport and the reason that we like to compete is because we like the adrenaline rush. So if you just think of that feeling as a real adrenaline rush and not necessarily that you're quote unquote nervous and can turn that energy into positive energy and then in, in hand know that you're going to a competition very prepared, I think is what makes people feel more competitive and less nervous at the end of the day. I can't really remember the last time I saw a kid have a real melt meltdown that I thought was nerve related. Hmm. And I think the other thing that's really important too, is that I'm never trying to put pressure on a kid to have a certain outcome of a class, you know, win a ribbon or win a finals. I'm always trying to make it about having a better relationship with a horse or trying to understand the course or trying to have a, you know, a good day of riding. And I think when you don't put unrealistic expectations or unrealistic pressures, that's also helpful. I like that, the adrenaline and the nerves. I mean, I don't think people think about that very much, but yeah, yeah, totally. What would be an area of the industry that you're particularly passionate about that you feel like the rest of the industry either doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk a lot about? I think that my biggest passion lies in grooming young riders to stay in the sport in some capacity, whether it's to go on and be a rider that can represent the U.S. or Japan or different countries, or whether they're going to run their own business or be a professional rider or work for another barn and maybe be a barn manager. It's really just wanting that when the kids are done being a junior, that they're not burnt out and that they've enjoyed their experience and that they want to stick with it. And Oftentimes, you'll have kids that will go to school and then they'll come back and they'll always joke about, can I come home during my winter break or can I come home during Thanksgiving break? And the parents are always think it's funny that home to them means come back to Beacon Hill, not necessarily go home to see their family. (laughs) And I, I take great pride in the fact that there's a great number of kids that are not burnt out when they're finished with their their junior year. Yeah, because at that level, coming off of junior year and indoors and all that is involved, it's pretty common for kids to get burned out. It is. That's very true. And, you know, there's so much to do now. There's a lot of accessibility with a lot of showing and kids have lost the ability to maybe do a little bit different things with clinics during the summer. So it's even more difficult not to get burnt out and, you know, to get hung up on the on the results and the placing of a competition too much. But I'm, I'm kind of always joking with the kids saying, you are not doing this to put ribbons on the tack room. That is not what this is about. And I would much rather have a kid make a big mistake trying to figure something out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. Well, Stacia, thank you so much for coming on the Equestrian Podcast. I am so thankful that you were able to come on and, and let us in on a little bit of your life and what you're doing and all of your success is incredible. And so I wish you all the best. Well, thank you for having me. 
All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.